Hello and welcome to Far From Fear, the podcast that explores the intersection of cancer and thought wellness. I'm your host, Jen Farr. Thanks for joining me on this journey. On today's episode, I've invited Kristen to reveal her journey of how she empowered herself to seek out alternate treatment in Arizona to move from fear to forward and increase her chances of survival. I am here with Kristen, and I am so grateful that Kristen wanted to come on and share her cancer journey with us. I'm going to give her the floor and just allow for the organic storytelling to happen and shed some light on your particular journey. Awesome. Thanks, Jen. First of all, I just want to start by saying I really appreciate being able to share my story and to have this opportunity with you and through your podcast to do that. I think that through women sharing and telling their stories, it's really important. It brings a sense of community and support. Yeah, it's just, it's amazing. So thank you. Awesome. So where do I start? I want to say I'm brand new, essentially on the survivorship, if you will, that sort of area in my journey. So I was diagnosed in the summer of 2022 and I had just turned 38 years old. So to kind of give a little bit of backstory prior to that diagnosis, because I think it is an important aspect of, of my story, is that when I was nine years old, my mom actually was diagnosed with breast cancer. And very unfortunately for uh, that whole situation is that she was diagnosed at stage four breast cancer. And she actually did only live about three years with that diagnosis. And so I lost my mom very early on to breast cancer. And I was always told that throughout my whole lifetime, you want to stay on top of uh, your breast health. You need to know your body, all of those things, make sure that you're prioritizing whatever you need to make sure that you're staying healthy. And so I really felt that I did that, but didn't really understand what that meant. Self-examinations was definitely part of that. And so throughout my youth being 19 years old and just simply doing self-examinations. I, I thought I knew what I was doing. I never really had any guidance or direction. It just was sort of like, yeah, do some self-examinations, make sure that they're done monthly, know your body, let us know if you find anything. Right. Um, I actually did. Hmm, I actually did explore uh, genetic counseling when I was about 19 years old and uh, even though with my mom's history and paternal grandmother as well had breast cancer before the age of 40, mm-hmm. uh, I was actually told that I, I was still at just as regular of a risk as any other woman, that I didn't pose an actually any higher risk. Wow. I didn't really see that coming. I would have thought that they would have had me under a microscope, given that my mom was so young, but that wasn't the case. So I was in a way, I don't want to say brushed off, but just sort of, you know, it was neutralized. The topic was sort of neutralized. So moving forward, I moved from Ontario to Alberta and met my husband out there. And around the age of 30, I started to explore and really take more seriously this idea and concept of understanding what my breast health was doing and what it looked like and what genetic components I might still actually have there that just haven't been explored. And so in talking to our family doctor out there, she had said, you know what, let's get you in with a geneticist and have you tested, even though you wouldn't qualify under a a provincial kind of plan, Mm -hmm. you can pay privately for that. So we did choose to have some of that genetic testing done privately. And ultimately what we found out through that was nothing. Again, I, I had nothing that actually showed up. There was no BRCA mutations. There was no other mutations of concern that they knew about at that time. And so again, I was left with literally being told that you're at no higher risk of developing breast cancer than any other woman, but kind of one in eight statistic, if you will. 
that was good information for me, but I still felt kind of unsettled knowing that my mom was so young. She was 36. And at that time, the geneticist that I was seeing, he did say, listen, let's get you in for some better screening anyway in the meantime. And of course I said, absolutely, let's do that. So in Alberta, he was able to set up the ability for me to have MRI imaging and we were going to do that on a biannual basis. So I thought that was pretty significant and had a lot of value to it. Yeah. So I had a, an MRI done in 2019 and it was fine. So they considered that my baseline and that we'll see you again in two years from now. And then of course, as we all know, now the world of COVID happened in 2020, right? right? And during that time, we chose to make the move back to Ontario and so everything was all over the place, right? Not really getting to see your family doctor, a whole new province, that sort of thing, starting from scratch. I was able to get in and do a checkup, just a regular check-in with my family doctor in uh, February of 2022. And so at that time, I had a couple of questions about my breast health. I said, so, hey, are we doing a physical exam today? And what he had reiterated to me is that no, actually, unless you have a problem, like we won't actually be doing any regular physical exams unless you have any issues. And so do you have any areas of concerns? Are there any lumps that are present that you're aware of that you would like me to check out? And, and I didn't have any. Yeah. So I said, no, I thought it was a little odd knowing my family history that they weren't really going to be looking at even just doing physical exams. And for someone who was maybe regularly checking out what women's breasts were like, that I wouldn't have that opportunity. He had said, you know, we don't want to cause any false alarms. What we're finding is we're sending women to have imaging done that is more than likely unnecessary. It's causing some false alarms to high anxiety levels. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's the way that we approach it. So if you have any concerns, let me know in the future. Right. So it doesn't sound very proactive, right? It's more reactionary, which absolutely puts absolutely. anybody and in a cancer journey in a dangerous state because you could do so many other things to like preventative measures. If you were to either catch it early on, or if there were any indicators that there could be something uh, abnormal Absolutely. cells or something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. I've even heard of, this is not my story, but other women, stories where uh, they were in for a routine, maybe say a chest x-ray for checking out how their asthma was doing and they're finding something there and they're going, wow, we need to look further into that. Would have never noticed it was there wow. uh, without that that additional kind of side screening it was found coincidentally, if you will. So that's certainly not to say that my family doctor wasn't following protocol. He absolutely was and, and, and is. He's a very knowledgeable individual. I do think that the Canadian task force, of course, has certain guidelines out there that aren't really in our best interest, especially after uh, the number of stories that I've heard this over the last year and even my own story. So just a handful of months later, my husband noticed the lump in my breast and he said, Kristen, I don't think that's normal. Can you get that checked out? And I was like, whoa, hang on. That's probably just the last little bit of youthful density <laughs> that's there. Right. I don't think it's anything to worry about. I just saw my doctor. I didn't think it was an issue. And so I didn't really think a whole lot about it at that time. Yeah. A handful of weeks later, it was the middle of the night, something woke me up and said, Kristen, you need to just get that looked at just for peace of mind. Wow. And uh, so I did. And that process led me to, again, talking to my family doctor. And he said, yeah, we'll get you in for a mammogram. And I actually knew from speaking with the geneticists in Alberta that mammograms are only going to catch so much, especially for women with dense breasts. breasts. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're often going to miss things if you have a high density. 
that's what I've come to understand and what I had been have been told. So I said, listen, can I have an ultrasound with that mammogram? And my family doctor was really great. And he said, yeah, absolutely. Let's get that set up for you. Let's do both. Good but in priority, yeah, in priority, though, it would have only been a mammogram that would have been done. And I'm just so grateful that I did request an ultrasound and that one was ultimately given to me as well. The day that I went in for the mammogram, it actually caught nothing, Jen. So nothing was actually observed on the mammogram and they actually came out of the room and they said, Kristen, yeah, the mammogram looks great, but we're going to get you in right now for that ultrasound. And so just hang tight. And so popping into the ultrasound room, of course, now all of us listening to this story, if, if you've been diagnosed with breast cancer, you can put yourself in this exact moment in, in time of when that technician is there and she seems to be taking a thousand pictures. And you're thinking, what's going on? This doesn't seem as normal. Shouldn't she just be taking three and we're good to go? Mm -hmm. uh, but she's taking a lot of pictures. And I started to pique my interest a little bit, what's happening here and become a little concerned. And when the uh, radiologist came in to do his follow-up portion of that appointment, he did flat out tell me that uh, this was actually a 50-50% chance that he was looking at breast cancer and that the mass that was present was actually about a nine by six centimeter mass. Yeah. So the mammogram had completely missed that. Wow. Yeah. And then he went on to examine my lymph node region right. and found another three centimeter mass in my lymph node region in the armpit. And then he said to me, this is a 95% chance that we're looking at breast cancer. Right. Pretty mind blowing considering that I had moments before had a mammogram done and uh, I just really didn't see that coming. And my immediate response was, but I've done everything right. Yeah. I had genetic testing done. Yeah. I was told I have no higher risk of developing breast cancer, like this almost a denial phase, right? Mm -hmm. This can't be happening. They actually did do a biopsy on the spot. And when I was delivered that uh, diagnosis, just a few weeks later, when the biopsy results came back in with the stage three triple negative breast cancer. Yeah. So I, I didn't understand what that meant. What does that mean? What is the next steps? I did start off right away with chemotherapy, pretty much right out of the gate. That's how they start off triple negative breast cancer patients, typically, depending on their stage. And approximately two months into that initial drug that they were using, we did a random CT scan because they thought, oh, maybe there's a blood clot going on here or something. We're just going to check that symptom out that you were reporting. And, uh, and that was fine. Actually, the symptom that I was reporting had nothing going on with it. But ultimately, what they did find out is that, unfortunately, my cancer was actually spreading during chemotherapy. That was pretty wow. unexpected. Definitely not something that you want to hear your oncologist say. And his words were, your cancer is behaving unexpectedly. So it was pretty awful. So we immediately jumped into the next drug that they had lined up, which was the second portion of the original plan. And that was the, as cancer patients know it as the red devil chemotherapy treatment. And that ultimately hit me very, very hard. After my first treatment, they wanted to go at it as hard as they could, and they, they sure did. I was actually hospitalized for 10 days after that. It was a very scary experience. That's in itself its own story. It was awful. I was able to finish the remaining treatments for that particular part of the chemotherapy and then prepared to go into surgery. So when they did the surgical removal, I, I chose to do a double mastectomy. 
and a full lymph node dissection on that right-hand side. They, they did that because there was cancer present in the lymph nodes. And I said, yeah, let's get it all. And they were in 100% agreement that this is what we should do. They did unfortunately find out after the surgery that there was still extensive residual disease present. So that was a hard one to swallow. Not going to lie. <laughs> right. I definitely thought that after everything that I had been through and how awful the treatments were, that it had to have had an impact on the cancer that was growing in my body. Mm. And truthfully, when I compare the initial imaging scans from my first diagnosis to what I was left with at surgery, it looks as though I actually had more cancer present at the stage of surgery than I did initially. Wow. So definitely not a great outcome, that's to say it mildly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at that point, I did ask my oncologist, I said, though, what, what else are we going to do? What else are we hitting this with? He said, okay, we're doing radiation. That was always in the plan. And we're going to do some oral chemotherapy afterwards as well. Uh, but what I ended up reading in my pathology report, because I read everything <laughs> inside and out, I read all of it. I needed to know it was a, yeah. I don't want to say a comfort thing for me, but maybe a control thing for me. But in reading my pathology report, even after they had said, yeah, we're going to complete all those other treatments for you, they wrote in the report that I would ultimately have a poor prognosis, Wow, which was completely devastating, mm-hmm. like beyond devastating to think that maybe I would have the same outcome as what my mom did, right. knowing that I have two young children and husband. I was willing to still continue to fight. And truthfully, it is a fight for your life. So nothing else was really available to me here through the Canadian system, at least that what they were able to give me at that time for the stage that I was presenting at. And so I did choose to seek out additional treatment and I wanted to stay within Canada. I ultimately went to the States. I found a clinic that was able to offer a combination of alternative treatments but also in conjunction with that, very much pharmaceutical-based treatment. So I redid some low-dose chemo, and that makes it sound like it was nothing, but it was definitely still something. Right. <laughs> and I ultimately left and, and went to Arizona for two and a half months. So I left my family behind, Yeah. and we knew that ultimately long-term, me leaving for two and a half months in our eyes was going to give us a better chance of me being around for a lot longer versus right, not. Right. Of mm-hmm. course. We were extremely blessed by having a community come around us and really rally around us. And we were able to do a GoFundMe that was able to pay for a, a good portion. The rest of it was by choice out of pocket. And we knew that was definitely going to be a, a huge likelihood. And we were prepared for that to a degree. <laughs> of course, I don't think anyone's ever really prepared for that, but we just knew that longer term, that's what we wanted to do. Makes sense. Tell me in terms of You came home from that time, spent away from family, all of those emotions that are already, you're already in that process of fighting for your life, as you said, and going through that journey. But then it's the coming home and tell me about what that was like and conversations with your children and your husband. Yeah. And as soon as you said, with conversations with my children, I mean, that really, that gets me right there because I think- We were so open with them for the most part. We wanted to describe to them so that their little brains, their little minds weren't going to places that were unnecessary or any worse than they maybe were. And so initially we talked about what is cancer? What does that look like? We actually created 
I don't want to say an advent calendar, but a countdown calendar for the treatments that I had while I was in Canada and had them very involved in that. And of course they ran in the Terry Fox run and they had their little, I'm running for mommy written on their shirt. (laughs) And, um, yeah, yeah, that's perfect. (laughs) It was very difficult to try to incorporate innocent children in such, um, uh, crazy and un I don't even know what the word is. It's unbelievable the type of diagnosis that that we were facing and, and that, of course, many women with children are facing. How do you keep them in the loop? How do you keep their minds from going places where you don't want them to go? Yeah, uh, It was very difficult. And so we had conversations prior to me going to Arizona. We had conversations while I was here in Canada going through treatments. We were very open about even the surgery that I chose to have both of my children were very affected by all of it. In particular, my 10-year-old son, he was quite affected, especially at the thought of me losing my breasts. I don't want you to lose those body parts. It's literally what he said. And I didn't understand like that he was going to be that impacted by something that I was going to have to go through. Yeah, it was very difficult. And even as I went away and I left them for a significant period of time, that was very difficult on them. We had a lot of supportive family and friends around to carry us through that. But ultimately, mom is gone, right? And and what's she up to? And so we tried to keep things light. It it definitely became difficult. The more difficult my journey began to become, right? As we got some of those results or diagnoses that your cancer was spreading and and those sorts of things, we, we couldn't share that with them. Right. We definitely chose not to share that with them. I think to a degree, these are smart little people. They always are, aren't they? Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, they, they figure these things out kind of through default or through yeah. reading body and energy and vibes and that sort of thing. But yeah, have that full out conversation with them about that. Just FYI, I shared with my then 10 year old about what was happening. And now 21 years old, my kid still says to me, mom, I'm really glad that you didn't protect me from it or that you didn't lie or cover it up. I'm glad you shared this with me. So yeah. Yeah. They know, like you said, right. They know. Yeah. And they do know. And I think a lot of the way that we also approached how we were going to go about this to a degree (laughs) with our children was very much a reflection of what I had experienced as well with my own mom. Right. Right. On a very, very different scenario, unfortunately for her, because I think they, well, they did know right away that it was simply a matter of time for her. Mm -hmm. And so how do you share that with your children? Right. I I certainly don't ever blame the decision that my parents chose to not really be as open with us around my mom's diagnosis. I see how that absolutely would be the most awful scenario to be put in. And I was able to kind of glean a little bit on that. How do we talk to our kids and prepare them for some of the things that they're going to see? and help them work through that and support them. Definitely. I think really just anything like that you experienced in the conversations that you have with your kids, especially, I think all of that is, it's, it's very real. It's very raw. It's authentic. And like you said, we can't hide that from our children, but how do we involve them and how do we make it so it's less scary. Mm -hmm. We have the conversations. Obviously there is that form of protection that comes, especially with younger children, but we definitely want to involve them so that it it is, they can ask questions. They know they can ask the questions. 
And I think that's pretty important. When you and I chatted our first meeting, you had mentioned mm -hmm. that you wrote a book. <laughs> yeah. I would love for you to talk about that right now. Absolutely. Yes. So a children's book to give a little bit of background with that and what that has meant to me. It, first of all, I will say it's, it has not been illustrated or published yet. So there right. still are some pieces of this puzzle to come together to make this really happen. Right. But one of the things that I was clearly going through, oh my gosh, there's so much that we go through as cancer patients. You could write books about all of these things. But one of the things that I was clearly impacted by was my surgery um, and my choice to have a double mastectomy. And I did choose to remain flat at this time for lots of reasons. But one of the concerns that I, I didn't think was there till it really presented itself was that I was no longer going to be an example to my daughter, who is now nine. I was no longer going to be an example to Isla of what I, I mean, kind of go with me on this, but what a real woman's body looks like. Now, of course, we are all real women, of course, but I want to say average woman, right? right. <laughs> to be an example of this is what the average woman's body looks like. We don't look like maybe what you see on TV with media where things right. are perfect. And I certainly knew that as someone who being younger, I was definitely affected by that, that I should look a certain way based off of the images that were present in media. And I just really did not want my daughter to fall victim to that. And, and it did hurt my heart to a degree that I personally, as her mom, was not really going to be able to be that physical example of what the average woman's body would really look like. And I sort of discovered that through a therapy session that I was doing. And my therapist said, Kristen, what do you want to tell Isla? What is it that's on your heart? But you obviously don't want her to feel like she needs to compare to this ridiculous standard and you're feeling like you're missing out on being that example. So what do you want to tell her about being an example? If you can't show her, what do you want to tell her? Right. And I just honestly, what came out of my mouth, I just said, I just, I want her to know that boobs are squishy. <laughs> my therapist burst out laughing and it was very well placed for sure. And she said, you need to write a children's book and you're going to call it boobs are squishy. And it's going <laughs> to be that you wrote to Isla. And I laughed about it, but ultimately I wrote a letter to Isla and the things I wanted to tell her about her growing body and her changing body and the realness of what breasts are and what they do and the amazing things that they can do. Yeah. Like I wanted her to know that. And it came out in the form of a, like a Dr. Zeus style type of a poem story. And it, mm -hmm. if I do this myself in the most humbling way, it's pretty fun. That's and awesome. yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited. I, I have read it to her. It just doesn't quite hit the marks, like I said, because there's no illustrations with it yet. This is all information that I want her to know. And it's all real. Let's talk about the realness of, of that. And so, yeah, that's the premise of why I wrote it and what it's about. But I think you need to really hear it or read it to understand just how neat it is. It's, it's fun. <laughs> I love it. I honestly, I'd love to have you back on just to read that. <laughs> Yes. And I would, that would be, I would love to, I would love that opportunity. Fantastic. I think people need the physical copy because it comes with the illustrations. They can read yeah. it to their own kids. So that would be a very important component of that. But if you were to read that on one of my podcast episodes, I really think that would be wonderful. I would love to share that. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Uh, honestly, this has been wonderful. I I'm so appreciative. Uh, this, <laughs> This has just really taken off in the last yeah. few weeks. When I look at how I've 
transitioned into this role as a cancer coach, I never imagined that a podcast would build the audience aspect, but also really connect more than anything. That's been the joy that I get out of doing this is that there's just so much of a community. I am so appreciative, really appreciative. And I think that, yeah, we'll have to have another episode where you you read the story and share with everybody what your book is about. And I just think that would be so valuable for so many people, especially when it comes to their children. And I just joined the Ontario Breast Cancer Support Group on Facebook because I didn't even know that it existed really. It was Andrea through the Breast Cancer Action Group had mentioned it to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, I'm kind of surprised I didn't tap into it sooner. But I think I'm going to share in there that I would love to hear other stories as well. What I'd like to, with your permission, I'd love to relay your particular interview because you're new, you're fairly newly in this journey and with regards to your book as well, because I've been seeing a lot of women that have been talking about the, the concerns that they have with sharing things with their children right now. So Absolutely. I'd love to hear how things got pieced together. (laughs) My story here today, I feel like I was nervous sharing it. (laughs) Oh, I know it's, and the thing of it is, yeah, I remember thinking too, because I think I've gotten a few more, I've got a few more times of practice with this, but the same thing is we tell ourselves these stories, right? And when I was recording my lessons for my courses, same thing. I would get wrapped up in the, I'd make sure that I had a little bit of makeup on and all this. And where's my lighting? How's my lighting? Yeah. The thing about telling ourselves the stories that, oh, I'm probably going to sound dorky or I'm, I'm going to say like, or um, too often. And I just remember thinking, okay, just, just talk as if you're having a coffee or lunch with a friend. And that just helped to alleviate the nerves. But Everything that you said, everything that you shared was just so wonderful to hear in this platform for you to be able to share this. That's very vulnerable. The things that you spoke about, very vulnerable and very real. And that's what the goal is, I think, with this podcast is to bring awareness to people, but also bring that community aspect. Absolutely. One of the the things that I think I feel most drawn to in talking about my story is that we're, we're all going through a horrifying journey. There's absolutely no question. And we're all individually experiencing a very unique story. But if anyone at all is going through something similar to what I had experienced, where it's unfathomable to think, how is your cancer growing during chemotherapy? There still is hope. There's hope out there. There's still that support out there. And it doesn't give you any definitive answers to say that, yes, ultimately things will be okay and that is the hard part, but that that you're not alone though at the same time, right? You're not alone in that experience, even though that is not the typical experience, right? Exactly. Yeah, agreed. And that right there is the things that people are going to be drawn to because then they feel that they have a voice that, as well and they can reveal their own stories and they can find healing in that. So I, I really appreciate again, you taking the time today to be vulnerable with me and vulnerable in yeah. this space. I mean, we have no idea where this is going to go in terms of the audience. So this is a real, this is a real vulnerable thing to show up and share your story. So I really appreciate it. I'm very grateful. Thank you, Jen. And I'm as well grateful just back at you. So thank you very much. <laughs> that concludes today's episode. 
A big thank you to my guest, Kristen, for showing up for all of you in this space. Consider visiting farfromfear-coaching.com to subscribe to my website. And remember, you're not alone on this cancer journey, and there's healing in revealing.